You are listening to My Top 10 TV Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Top 10 TV. This week is the last in the current run, but we have saved the best till last. As radio host and all-round legend Jeff Lloyd gives you his Top 10 TV. I love his list so much, not only because it was a reminder of how good TV is, but how similar it would be to mine. What will amaze and delight are the stories Jeff brings to proceedings. I guarantee there'll be a couple of rewind moments as you're listening to what he said. But for now, please enjoy the magical musing of the one and only Mr. Jeff Lloyd. Um, so first, without further ado, since we're talking of the subject, please tell us your uh, your number 10 in your top 10 list. Right. So I've, at number 10, I've gone with the Beatles anthology. And I think my motivation for doing this is that I'm such a Beatles obsessive that I felt deeply uncomfortable talking about anything without including the Beatles in there i mm. think that's why I, i've done it um but but i did love it this was the documentary about their career that came out in the mid 90s mm. uh, Beatlemania was back in the in the mid 90s uh, they, they got back together they released new music to coincide with this documentary series and some albums uh of unheard material that came out around the same time and i it was it, the time that I really went deep on the Beatles and I watched it obsessively. Then they brought out a box of VHS VHS versions, which were elongated. So I think we, we went from six hours to something like eight or nine hours. And this was in the days before YouTube. So you know, back when I was young and, um, you know, I left the house and was sociable, <laughs> we we piled back to my flat in Manchester, in central Manchester, and just fast forward through bits of the Beatles anthology, watching the performances, watching bits of the interviews. I've, I've almost got it committed to memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it's 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 a li- little bit dated in terms of style now, but in some some ways it isn't at all because it's basically just a bunch of footage of the Beatles and them telling their stories. There's very little uh, of anyone else other than them: Brian Epstein, George Martin, um, Neil Aspinall, who was their roadie. So it doesn't it doesn't have any voiceover to date it. Um, you know, the thing that dates it probably is the interview footage of them in the 90s. But it's also wonderful to see them, especially when it's the three surviving Beatles together, because you can really watch the psychodynamics at play, which is endlessly interesting to me. Paul and George were were the first relationship in the Beatles, they knew. In in other words, they knew each other before any of the others. It was the, mm. the earliest relationship. They went to at the same school and would get the bus together. And and watching the ways in which Paul tries to not annoy George, <laughs> and watching the ways in which Paul annoys George is is just fascinating to me. Yeah, amazing. And it, it's something about. I mean, obviously, you know, so the Fab Four will get, you know etched in music history, uh, but the number of you know, kind of documentaries or, or features that are about them and that still kind of, you know, sort of roll along. Obviously, you know, Ron Howard made a fantastic film about them. Um, mm. Peter Jackson recently with the Get Back stuff. It Which just I seemed... Could, I, yeah, I, I could have easily gone with Get Back. I mean, that that to me was... It was such a gift to get that. Um, to, because what you saw in that film was them working together in the studio and you romanticize yeah. bands. And then because I've worked in radio and music and stuff and I've been around a lot of bands, like life has stripped me of the notion that bands are for best friends versus the yeah. world and that there's this special love between them. And then you watch Get Back, you think, oh, no, it is true with the Beatles. The, you know, the, there's obviously um, there's there's obviously tensions there's obviously history uh, the relationships change over time but what it was like was getting to see getting to understand what the dark matter of yeah. the beatles yeah. was it's what you always hoped it was and, and there it is in front of you i, I love that so much and that so i was sort of vying really between get back and, and the anthology but the, the anthology i think just tells the entire story yeah no it, it's brilliant and and again obviously you know being a uh, being a son of liverpool back in the day and, and my family being from there it's just yeah. so nice to be able to look at that and go yeah no, these these were just four ordinary guys that basically set the world alight and they were just amazing yeah it's it's something else it's something what a story i mean there's there's never maybe backbeat but there's never really been a good beatles film and it's because the the story is it's incredible it's incredulous it's fantastic it's it's almost too much it's fantastical something that actually happened Yeah. Uh, yeah it's fantastical exactly yeah, no, brilliant. Fantastic. Well, what, what an opener for your top 10. So absolutely sublime. So please do take it on to your number nine. 
Okay, number nine, I am going with 30 Rock, yeah. which uh, I always liked. And then when I got together with my now wife, she's a 30 Rock obsessive. We are people who ignore all the rules about screen time at bedtime. So we always <laughs> fall asleep to something. But she has a very specific set of criteria as, as to what that can be. It has to be something funny and something that she's seen before. Um, so I would say the the you know the the cast of characters in 30 rock accompany us uh to our dreams about half of any given year we just watch the whole lot and then go on to something else for a while um and and it is so brilliant sarah has committed uh sarah has it committed to memory right um and it is just it's so dense in jokes i've got a real bee in my bonnet about the way that so many things that are labeled as a comedy hmm. you, you can you, know, you can go for a whole scene without laughing or without it trying to make you laugh because they're going to put a bit of um, emotion or sentiment or drama in it. And those things have their place. I'm not convinced they belong in a straight up comedy most of the time. Hmm. And 30 Rock doesn't do that at all. You do you do actually end up like loving the characters. Um, you know, they're all flawed and all narcissistic in these ways, but, but they're brilliant. But um, it's such a great set of performances, especially from that central four who are tina fey alec baldwin um jane krakowski and jack mcbrayer who plays mm. um kenneth the page and it, it's just some of the finest comic performances coupled with very very dense joke it's almost like simpsons level of joke writing yeah. um and it's silly as well it is not really trying to make any points particularly um it is just a big daft silly comedy some of it hasn't aged well but i don't think comedy should because part of the um i think part of the part of the purpose of it is is to push at what is uncomfortable hmm. you know uh sort of loathe to say that I push at the line or or taboos but it's it's to sort of push at what's uncomfortable hmm. and in doing that it you know it's part of changes i don't think comedy your satire really changes anything but it is part of the sort of cultural conversation so it should always look like a little bit eggy or embarrassing 10 or 15 years on um yeah. in terms of some of the things that they joke about but um i i think it's i think it's fantastic and alec baldwin i mean who knew he was that good of a comic performer yeah yeah, no, he's, he's outstanding, and and, and again, you, you you wouldn't automatically think that that's where his kind of you know sort of oeuvre or his his kind of home would be. No, he's really funny. Um, my wife lived in New York, and we went back there. I don't know, maybe a year or so after our son was born, and she went to take our our, our baby to see her old therapist, which is a very sort of New York thing to do. <laughs> Not for therapy. I don't say it wasn't in need of therapy. No, at that point. Um. And as she went into that building, she's waiting for the lift and the the lift doors open and out came Alec Baldwin. Oh. And he gasped, took a look at our son and said, oh, what a face. Let me look at this one. What a baby. I just love babies. Can I hold no. him? And, and, and because of that, I feel incredibly warmly to him. Yeah. Despite some of his antics and uh, despite his um, his bizarre wife. Yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, what a story. And what yeah. a story that hopefully your son can pass down as well, even if he's not he's not familiar with him now. He sure as hell will be. <laughs> yeah. So it's a show. It's a show within a show. I think people probably know who Tina Fey is, and mm. um, she was the head writer on SNL. Yeah. And um, it's it's kind of a sitcom about the making of that type of show. So yeah. so you do see aspects of what's called you know they bring it oh I feel, sorry i said those central four i feel awful because it's the central five it's um uh, tracy jordan tracy morgan um in real life is is the other great character in this and he is so funny uh, people might know him from his stand-up but mm. uh, so so he is brought in he is this huge uh, star of stand-up comedy. I don't know if maybe like, sort of Eddie Murphy might be an inspiration who is in, now in his, his career is in a bit of a trough, and yeah. he is brought in to revitalize this um, big live sketch show. And he is so funny. Uh, and he he is paired with the previous star of the show, who is then sort of knocked down to second bill, billing, who is Jen Kukowski, who people might know probably best from Ali McBeal if they don't know 30 Rock. Mm. And and she is 
you know, it's, it's simultaneously the archetype of a diva, but but you know, she just hits it in in a way that you haven't quite seen before. Tina Fey is the is the showrunner. She's the the quote unquote sensible one, and then her boss is Alec uh, Baldwin. Who is playing Jack Donaghy? Who's the the network um, executive? Yeah, with all the associations, all the associations you might have with that. I feel so bad that I forgot Tracy Morgan out when I was um, going through those characters at the top there. No, we'll clean it up in the edit. It'll sound absolutely fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know that we, you know, at least we know, and the audience will know when they listen to this what you know, Jeff Lloyd uh, falls asleep to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So a bit of a handbrake turn now. So going from an American sitcom to um, a British institution. So please tell us your number eight. Yes, my number eight is Doctor Who. Now, I've only somewhat recently um, come come to the truth of, of ad- admitting the truth is that I, I am quite a Doctor Who fan, right. as it turns out. So, so my son, who's seven, has somewhat recently started watching it. He he got into Jodie Whittaker. He's really excited for the specials of David Tennant, and he's um he's he's really excited for Shuti Gatwa. And I've been watching that, and I thought I really love Doctor, and I forgot. Um, when I was a kid, I used to get the magazine. Tom yeah. Baker would have been my Doctor, and a bit Peter Davis, and I maybe fell off a bit like that. But I, I was kind of obsessed with it um, to the extent that. I remember going to Chester Zoo when I was about six or seven, dressed in the long scarf and the floppy hat like Tom Baker, with a bag of with a bag of jelly babies, brilliant, offering them to other kids like like they were meeting the famous Doctor Who, <laughs> and I just got like an acutely painful memory of some kid as they're walking away going, that kid thinks he looks like Doctor Who, but yeah. he doesn't, <laughs> and, and that's that's st- stung and stays with me. Yeah, that's and, crushing. Yeah. And then when it came back with Chris Freckleston, I, I thought it was so fresh. Hmm. And and I, and I do think I've made a point of watching every episode since it came back. But I never really thought of myself as a fan until Gene, started, that's my son, started watching it. Because hmm. I don't know, it felt like a dirty little secret in a way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, my wife's American, and and I do think it's hard for people who didn't grow up with it as an institution, either didn't grow up here in the UK or it was off mm. air when it was on. It's 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 quite a strange. I don't even quite know. It's a very idiosyncratic show, um, and I think you know, unless it's kind of part of your fabric, uh, it, it's quite a difficult one to get into. E- even some of the newer ones, you know, some of the special effects or some of the hammy performances of aliens and things but it's it's um it's the humanity of it that i love I, I really um it annoys my son because i will sit there sobbing as the doctor <laughs> makes some you know kind of grand speech about what life is or the moment or yeah. you know just memories shared experiences i'm a sucker for all that stuff and yeah. you know like uh, a lot of people have never seen their dad cry mm. i think my, my son hasn't had a day where he hasn't seen me cry and i think he's <laughs> going to grow up like horribly emotionally repressed as a result of it because it's just it's just too much for yeah. him. It's just yeah. But I just cry at everything at TV shows, adverts. Um, I've got such fond memories of Tom Baker and Peter Davison. Yeah. And then the rest of them I just read about in books when I was little in magazines because there were no, you know, this was back when there were no home videos really, and they didn't repeat old episodes. Yeah. And I couldn't look them up on YouTube. And and funnily enough, my my son does occasionally go back to the old ones. Like one of his favourites is uh, Patrick Troughton. Oh, I love him. Love him. Yeah, I really like the character, but I find I find even the ones from when I was a kid quite unwatchable. Mm. And I know people who are really immersed in it, they can do that and they can enjoy it and they can kind of look past the the mannered performances and the sets and the pacing of it and all that. And you know, that that's probably the like the the, the level at which my fandom hits a wall. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I, I respect it all, but it's it's hard to watch. No, it it is, and and I'm I'm with you in the same vein that Tom Baker was my my doctor, um, but you know, kind of you you go back and you see some of them now, and by God, they're shonky some of them. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, the effects are you know laughable, the 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 sets are risible. It's just, I mean, they're, 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 some of them are not very good, but I think the whole pretense of the fact of just this this kind of other world being who looks human but has, you know, kind of numerous hearts and kind of, you know, dances around the galaxy in a TARDIS and the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a beautifully realized mm. um, concept. Um, and I think, 
because it has that regeneration focus, it kind of was able to reinvent itself each time. And that's kind of yes. genius. I'm not entirely yes, sure is. whether they thought about it originally as that. No, it feels sort of more accidental than by design, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But for me, it was always, that was the the excitement. And I, I mean, I remember being palpable, palpably excited in school talking about there was going to be a new doctor. And every time he regenerated, it was just an incredible thing. And you would ha then have to get used to this new character, you know, Peter Davison and his cricket garb and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. just, just amazing. And then for me, I think I probably stopped. Well, it, Doctor Who itself did stop, didn't it? I think probably was it mm. late 80s, early 90s, it stopped. I think so, um, yeah. And then when they brought it back, my God, I mean, in terms of kind of TV royalty, Stephen Moffat, uh, um, Russell, uh, Russell, T. Russell Davis. T. Davis, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, absolute TV royalty and to bring it back in the way they did with Christopher Eccleston, Billy Piper, and then the numerous iterations since then, David Tennant, absolutely outstanding. I love the fact that they made the Doctor a woman. I just thought, you know, for yeah. all of those Whovians that were kind of up in arms and saying this shouldn't be right, well, why? There's yeah. no rules and there's no there's no no rules about this. You can do what you want with it, and that's the beauty of it. And I think why it will continue in that vein. Yeah, and I, I love. I mean, my, she she Jodie Whittaker is my son's favourite. Yeah. So, um, oh, that's brilliant. I, that's great. Yeah, and he went to school dressed as her on World Book Day. You know, he, and and I yeah, I think her her personification of the character is really contagious and and very good they're not always my favorite stories no. but i really love what she um what she brought to it yeah no she's i mean jodie whittaker herself is is brilliant and yeah. i mean kudos to whoever kind of saw her in broadchurch and other things and thought she could be a great doctor it's it, you, mm. you, it's very difficult to get that synapsual leap to think yes and that, that that leads to this but uh she was she was just outstanding and so we move on to your number seven Yes, so I'm a real Swedophile. I uh, spent a lot of time in Sweden. I used to live there half the time. Um, so if there is ever a new Swedish film, a new Swedish band, uh, a new TV show, I will um, I'll, I'll give it a look. And I've chosen something from, I think, like the halcyon days of Nordic noir, yeah. which is The Bridge. So I think maybe like if the killing was the John the Baptist of Nordic Noir, the, the bridge was the Christ. Um, I think it was remade um, many different times in, in many languages, including uh, English. There was a British and an American version, I think. Yes, both versions, yeah. Yeah, I didn't didn't watch any of the remakes, but I loved the Swedish-Danish original in which this body is found uh, in, in the middle of the, the bridge. Copenhagen to Malmö in mm. Sweden so they're, they're not quite sure if it comes under the jurisdiction of the Danish or the Swedish police um, and then the two detectives that partnership um, of Saga played by um, Sophia Hellion who's the Swedish one mm -hmm. and then Martin Rudd who's the Danish kind of maverick so so Saga is uh, she's they, they don't explicitly say that she's neurodivergent hmm. but but she she seems to be a very sort of good well written well realized um asd um autistic spectrum disorder yeah. uh, character an autistic person and then kim bodnia is more like your tv cop whose personal life is a bit of a mess and he's brilliant but a, a bit sort of shambolic yeah um, genius yeah yeah and and the, the, like the two of them it is just such a great partnership and um just structurally the the writing i'm just in awe of these shows that mm. even when you're struggling to keep your eyes open it gets the last five minutes and then all of a sudden it's like you've had you know double espresso and you have to press play on the next one um it's it's it was it was so good i i, I loved a lot of that nordic noir a bit um, I've not not been on top of it so much. You are listening to my top 10 TV podcast. You're quite, quite brilliant, number six. Yes, and I've gone with the royal family. And um, I think like so many other people, it's it, it feels like they, um, they, they hit a microphone in my house when I was growing up and, yes. um, and based the script on it, which, of course, they didn't. Um, mm. You know, it's just brilliantly realised. But I also have quite a personal connection to this as well because when i started out in radio um i worked with craig cash and right. carolina hearn right um in fact the the mrs merton show which was their first thing really um 
the the pilot which went out just in in Granada in mm. the northwest. I'm on it in the heated debate section. Really? Got, yeah, they wanted somebody who looked like um, a vegetarian. <laughs> 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 That's what the debate was about, and I, I mean, I have been vegetarian for a long time, but not back then. Yeah. Um, so, so a very shy, like seventeen-year-old me or something, is is on the pilot of that show, and then they were just, you know, just the best. You know, Craig is and uh, Caroline was just the best, kindest, funniest people, and whenever I was struggling so we, we all got fired off the radio variously and then when I couldn't get a job and they started making Mrs Merton they they gave me they invented a job for me which was basically fetching Caroline Benson and Hedges and Asti Spermanti and making sure she'd had just the right amount of Asti Spermanti before she went on set and asked those questions as Mrs Merton but, you know it wasn't a real job and um so they, they would I've got so much to thank them for um and and then I was working in local radio by the time the royal family, you know, they they, they had that, that idea kicking around for a long time. Mm. But by the time it started happening, I was working back on radio again. And I remember Craig showing me some of the rushes and saying, Craig, I think this is brilliant. Mm. But I, I just don't think the no canned laughter thing is going to work. I think I think people need it. He's like, don't be daft, Lloydy. The Simpsons doesn't need <laughs> Simpsons doesn't need canned laughter, does it? And of course he was right. Yeah. Um, but it is something else that show, and um, and I'm in the background of one of the episodes of the Royal Family. Yeah. So uh, uh, not not physically. Uh, uh, there's an episode where they're redecorating. They've got the radio on for the whole thing. Oh yes, yes, yes. There's yes. the bit where they're dancing to Mambo Number Five. Yes, and uh, it is me and my late radio double act partner Pete Mitchell. We recorded a, a show specially for them that could Brilliant. be then playing on on the radio. So you know that's great. That in this tiny tiny way. I'm no, that is amazing. I feel like we've just uncovered a snippet. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you, can, you, can, you sort of hear it, not much, but you can kind of kind of hear it there. Yeah, the scene is so memorable. Jeffy Hughes, he played. He wasn't. He, he was in Coronation Street, wasn't he? As, as Eddie, I think. Yeah, and he was the. Uh, oh God, the name's just fallen out of my head. What was his yeah. name in the Royal Family? You Tricky did, was the character. You did. You, yeah. did yeah. you did. You did very well. But yes, he's probably in the most famous scene in Coronation Street, where um, Hilda's wearing like red lipstick. And she kisses Stan, and Stan says, "What's that taste?" And he was, and she, and she, she just says, "Woman, Stanley, woman." <laughs> it's so great, it's so great. Um, really nice fact. Um, Luke from uh, Custard TV was on this a couple of weeks ago, and he he had Royal Family in his top ten, and he said something which I thought was great that apparently. Uh, the late great Victoria Wood had just written and released Dinner Ladies, and as soon as she saw Royal Family, she just went right. Yeah, um, we're screwed. She was just like Dinner oh, Ladies, God. just feels so old fashioned. That's so interesting. I, I know Caroline idolised her. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But to come from you know, because I mean, she's uh, you know much missed, but and, and you know incredible uh, ability to to produce amazing written stuff. But for her to see like the first episode of Royal Family and just go, yeah, we're done. Yeah, that's that's a great fact. I wonder if Craig knows that. I'm sure. I'm sure he's probably heard it. But uh, yeah, mm. I just thought it was a, a really interesting thing because obviously, you know, kind of uh, two stalwarts of, of British UK comedy, just just amazing. And again, you going back to Mrs. Merton. I mean, <laughs> the the risks they took with that, and you know, the fact that you know she was seen as this being sort of you know little sort of old lady, you know, quite meek and whatever. But her questions were just so loaded. I mean, obviously legendary, but you know, mm. just just so brave and just you, you know, you can see kind of from that whole kind of era just how outstanding they were. Yeah, and it was it was the 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 room of of writers was great on Mrs. Merton. So it was Craig and Caroline, mm. and and they are you know I've been lucky enough to meet some incredibly funny people in my life but nobody has ever made me laugh like the two of them they're, they're, yeah. they're just deeply deeply funny people yeah uh, in a way that you know it isn't always true of people whose work is funny it can be quite you know considered and, and studied about yeah. it a lot of the time um and then henry normal was sort of the headmaster yeah um because they would just dick about craig and caroline the whole time and then a young comic by the name of Dave Gorman was the yep. the other writer um and it was you know it was at the time um before it went into production and they gave me that little job I remember for a while I was working in a video shop and 
I was just tormented constantly by them either doing pranks. This is Craig and Caroline mainly, but all of you know everybody's uh, everybody's got blood on their hands, like prank calls or crude drawings of ejaculating penises or uh, <laughs> bottoms coming out of a fax machine. I mean, it was just constant. Yeah, with them. There's a great story actually of. Um, they were they were coming down to I think it was Mrs. Merton. They were coming down to London because they'd won some awards. So they were all coming down on mass on the train for um, the award ceremony. And Granada had paid for them to have first class. And you know they're just very giddy, yeah. <laughs> very giddy people. And Henry, who I said could have a bit of the headmaster yes. to him, he he went on. They were in first class, and he went off and sat on one of those sort of single tables on his own to get a bit of rest and just get away from the silliness and he fell asleep so then while he was asleep they'd got all the tabloid newspapers so they got the page threes from the daily star and the sun and laid them out on his table in front of him (laughs) and then went into caroline's suitcase (laughs) and uh, and then draped like some of her underwear on him and then caroline went to find the guard and complained about henry oh my god it's a weird man with nudie photos <laughs> to which I'm sure Henry thought was absolutely hilarious. Not. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but I mean, it was just it was just like that all the time. It, it, was, it was so funny and such an ear. And, and just like a deeper version to anything that felt phony or not real, which I yeah. love. And again, I mean being you know part of modern TV zeitgeist as well, you know, that that they both Caroline obviously before her passing and now Craig uh do the uh narration for Gogglebox, which you know kind of is 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 all about, you know, kind of modern TV viewing and kind of, and how we consume it and the fact that they kind of knit it together, I just think is lovely. It's basically people watching telly in the way that the Royals watch telly, like we yeah. all watch telly. Yeah. And I, I I don't know where that came. I never talked to Caroline about it and you know, when I speak to Craig, he'll say, I've done, you know, been off to do that this morning, but I've never really talked about how that happened. But it's, you know, it's a beautifully made show. Yeah. And by putting them into the fabric of it, it's, you know, it shows the, the thoughtfulness with which that programme is made. Uh, okay, brilliant. Uh, so uh, number six is Royal Family. Right. Number five, I'm kind of going to take a deep breath and sit back and just listen as you talk about your number five. Okay. My number five is Succession. Now, um, I should explain off the bat that uh, over the last couple of years, my wife and I, for the last two series of seasons of Succession, we did a, a Succession-based podcast, which has been, you know, it's, it's done kind of well for us, which has been lovely. It's done very um, well. Let's not be modest. <laughs> um, it, and a lot of people say about this show, I couldn't get into it at first or or I couldn't get into it at all. Or something you hear quite a lot is, uh, the, you know, the, the first season, uh, the, the pilot is completely different to the rest of it, but it gets really good. And I completely disagree. I remember watching it, the first episode, like the first couple of scenes of the first episode and thinking, what is this? This yes. is like nothing I've ever seen before. There, there are so many things going on here in terms of its ability to have such excellent dramatic writing to be so funny so authentic and so well acted uh, so well acted i just loved it from you know from the minute i started watching it mm. and nothing else as an adult has turned me into a fan in quite the same way whereas with the show every aspect of it became interesting to me. I mean, I don't need mm. to explain what it is because it's had, you know, there's, the sort of people listen to this know the telly and yeah. it's had like wall to wall coverage. Mm. But um, if you are one of those people who felt like, oh no, the characters aren't likable, like just, just grow up. Just, mm. just, it, 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 they are and they're not in that, yes, they're billionaires and the, 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 the bad choices and the ways in which they're emotionally abusive to each other uh, have different repercussions to yours. But there's something so human about it. There's mm. there's such a level of empathy. And I have never, ever in my life watched a show where I, you know, sometimes you'd hear of like little old ladies going up to um, the actor who played Ken Barlow in the supermarket and batting him with the handbags and saying, I can't believe you did that to Deirdre. Yeah. Because they can't separate the actor from the character. Yeah. This is this is how I feel about succession. Of course I know who Brian Cox is, but I cannot understand that Logan Roy, the patriarch of that family, 
is not real and every character is so well drawn yeah. and i think it was completely unique in this way in that that you you kind of dig into the internet after an episode and there would be kind of pages of speculation about the inner life of a minor character like Kendall's PA and every word that comes out of the mouth is is perfectly rhythmically uh, rhythm, rhythmically perfect and, and the exact word choice comedically it does not make sense how they've done it it is just uh, I, I just think it is it's the show for me. It, I think it lives in that top tier of TV, like Breaking Bad, Sopranos, The Wire. But for me, it is the one. Yeah. Kendall Roy, if he doesn't become the chief executive of Waystar Royco, is still a billionaire. Yeah. Those people are still related to him. And we've seen enough of that family to know that they'll probably be speaking again within six months. Mm. However, so, th so those are the stakes. Will a billionaire not get a job but still be a billionaire yeah. and fall out with his family for a brief amount of time yeah but but however the the, the stakes feel so high and that it's written with such intelligence that that feels important to you and you end up you know off, often having a strong opinion or a strong desire for a character who you would not like to know in real life yeah. to to get to control uh, an organization that if it was in real life as it is to some extent if you like the murdoch uh, murdoch or or whatever these big news conglomerates media conglomerates that that uh, actively damaged society hmm. so you 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 you're rooting for somebody that you wouldn't want to be running a company like that to be running a company like that yeah. those are the stakes i mean that th i don't i don't understand uh, and I've talked to, I've been lucky enough to talk to many of the people involved from Jesse Armstrong, the creator, hmm. um, right the way across the show. And I'm still not much closer to understanding the the, the magic trick of it. It is something else. Hmm. It's the perfect show to describe as being behemoth because of it was so expansive. It was so kind of driven. It was so, I've mentioned this in, in another podcast. It's just like, it feels like whatever they said in the script, like the, the direction in the script is like, you know, scene opens on a, on a yacht in Mustique. They've clearly gone, well, we need to find a big yacht and we need to go to Mustique because everything felt absolutely authentic. And I've, again, I've said this before. It always fascinated me because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ronan and 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 all, all, any anyone's costume always felt like it was the most expensive that they could find. It never felt yeah. like they just kind yeah. of went, yeah. "He's wearing a white shirt, just go to Primark." No, that didn't no, happen. No, and, and I think you know from talking to cast members and you know various people, that is absolutely true. Arian Moyad, who played Stewie, said that he he would be given these like thirty thousand, fifty thousand dollar watches. Yeah to yeah. wear when you know you can you can buy fake ones off a fella on a beach or you know like on market street outside the <laughs> arndale center and and i you know and and i don't think necessarily that would show on television mm. but it's it's something you know it's it's this whatever went into the soup of that show the importance of that stuff which a lot of people have just rolled their eyes at and say but do we have to mm. it just made the difference and it's that thing again we say about the royal family i think succession has a deep aversion to anything that doesn't feel real i think you know stuff that's comedically heightened they they can go with but um i think it is the truth and for a long time you're watching that show and you're trying to look for all the plot devices hmm. that you would associate with high-end drama you know are they sowing the seed of this here and then they're going to come back to it in episode nine of they introduce this character because their arc is going to be this and is this how um the waystar is finally brought down and and you you eventually you know after trying to figure all that stuff out and, and get second guess what's going to happen you think oh no this is as close to real life as i've seen because mm. people you know the baseline is is formed pretty early on and we've got the ability to grow and change a bit but not that much and we just behave in patterns and actually you know the good guys don't bring down these big corporations yeah like Waystar Royco, they always get away with it. Yeah. And that's the truth of it. Um, but dramatically, that that isn't how film and television have thought taught us to thought about that, despite the fact that real life does nothing but tell us to think about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just just sublime. Yes, it's brilliant. Which, you know, it can be is amazing that it's actually only your number five. So we'll be crashing straight on from your number five to your number four, please. Yeah, remember this number. This this numbering system is completely arbitrary. 
yeah. So, so my uh, my number four, I've gone with the Larry Sanders show, Gary Shandling's perfect sitcom um, about uh, life behind the scenes on one of those big US late night talk shows. Um, you know, it's a, again, it's one of these things that people I know, like me, loved it at the time, but most hmm. people never saw it, and it was shown at stupid o'clock over here. And um, I think I think it actually shares something with Succession in that it's it's very truth driven. Mm. So it's incredibly funny, but um, it's not funny in the way um, sitcoms put setups and jokes into people's mouths. It's funny in a way that let's let's create some characters who are so complex and have comedic elements like narcissism mm-hmm. and uh, and hubris and insecurity and all all those kinds of things and then let's write how they would behave but i really like flawed people um be- behaving uh, suspiciously or trying to second guess what everybody else is thinking yeah. or manipulate a situation to their own ends. And, and, and this, this like a, a holy Trinity, there's a triumvirate at the heart of this show, which uh, is, is Larry Sanders, uh, this, this um, late night talk show host, who's like an amalgam of all those American guys, but probably, you know, a touch of the David Letterman, a touch of the Jay Leno, that, that kind of, generation he is extremely insecure needy to be seen I mean, neediness is such a funny trait mm. uh needy to to be liked but also his character acts against that a lot of the time he's got a, a vain sidekick called hank who doesn't understand that he's an idiot which is always a great comic premise yeah and uh and their producer Artie, played by rip torn who is like I love anything with the touch of the old school show business to it, Absolutely. and he's in turn he's in charge really of manipulating the talent and getting the best out of it, which means bareface lies, you know, over complimenting, uh, obsequiousness, and it's just such a great recipe for comedy. There's there's star cameos in it because some of it is. Um, you know, it's split between what happens behind the scenes and then what happens on the show. And it just feels like a real life, life American talk show. It is just fantastic. And Gary Shandling, I mean, what a genius. Did you see that documentary about his notebooks? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, what, 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 I mean, just so many layers to him. Cause I, I back in the day, I loved uh, the Gary Shandling show, which was, uh, I think, sort of BBC two, sort of mid 80s. Yeah. 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 I love that. Again, it's one of these shows that kind of almost reinvents a format because you'd never had that amalgam of a, you know, front of camera and then behind the scenes stuff and being able to kind of intercut the two. And as you say, kind of with these star cameos, and obviously the, the things they, were allowed to get them to do you know the david duchovny one st- sticks out and always <laughs> will just just br- brilliant and and i loved the behind the scenes stuff when the kind of the, the narcissist who was obviously so so driven to be to be the funny one always had to have the, the funny lines always had to have you know sort of the best put downs kind of thing and obviously as you say you know kind of Ripton is his kind of bullish producer who was just making sure that everything revolved around his world in the way that he wanted it it's just it's just brilliant yeah, and it's it's I'm I'm really interested in how talent gets um, infantilized as well. Mm. So you know, e- even in my jobs that I've done in radio, you get a little bit of it, um, and then at the level where people are, you, you get these hosts who are making millions upon millions for a network. The way that they're wrapped in cotton wool, and then what that does to a person, yeah. it's it's really funny. It's just it's it's it's. I don't understand why it isn't repeated very often. I don't know if it's to do with music rights because she'd sometimes have bands play on the show. Mm. But it's it's perfect comedy and extremely real. Um, right. Okay. So we're going at this now. We're into your top three. Okay. My choice. People might know it as a film, but it was originally aired as uh, a six-part TV series, which I acquired on DVD at some point in the nineties, and uh, it's it's. Some of the best, as I said, I really can't get enough of um, watching people rip chunks out of each other emotionally. <laughs> I can't abide physical violence, but, um, you know, the ways in which we torture each other, especially in romantic relationships. And uh, with that in mind, I've gone for Ingmar Bergman's scenes from a marriage. Now, Ingmar Bergman, of course, 
primarily known as a movie director and, and yeah. theatre. Um, but he made this TV series, which I think was popular in America, actually, in the 70s, in as much as a subtitled thing could be. It's no frills, really. It mm. is just a couple at different stages of their relationship. And they're quite a middle-class, um, bourgeois couple played by Liv Ullman, like one of the greatest living actors, and Erlen Josephson, both of whom uh, win a lot of Ingmar Bergman films. Mm. And it's just watching them... I guess like tear each other apart across the different stages of marriage. And then actually many decades later, he re revisited those characters in a film. Um, they were long divorced by then, so, you know, towards the end of the characters' lives. Um, but it is, it's so well-written. It's so emotionally intelligent. It's so psychologically astute and it's so real. And it's just one of these things that makes you think, God, we are such, I just re really, feel sorry for anybody who gets to be a human being because we are such like <laughs> cursed animals mm. in that the things that every other animal gets to to do which is basically sort of find shelter find food have sex make mm. a family mm. you know we we are doomed to overcomplicate all those things it's it's heartbreaking and this gets at it like i think nothing i've ever seen really bits of succession maybe with chiv and tom and certain plays but because it's so long and it is just there are other um couples like friends of feature in it other aspects of other marriages and stuff and but 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 really you know all those things infidelity jealousies the stuff we carry from childhood which make it so hard for us to you know, be with another person hmm. the things that we seek out not because they're good for us but because they they're sort of familiar to us uh the way that interacts it's, it's just brilliant um i can't recommend it highly enough actually if you haven't seen it uh i rewatched it recently in fact when succession finished my wife and i we just couldn't watch other tv all, all most other tv just felt rubbish yeah it was like the acting felt bad the writing went felt bad so we put this back on and um it's it's so good and it does something really interesting that i've never seen before so at the end of each episode instead of music and credits ingmar bergman comes on in voiceover and you see uh the the landscape of the island where he spent most of his life which is called for it's off an island called gotland in the baltic it's a swedish island mm. and he, he says in swedish and now while i read to you the credits please enjoy the uh, this beautiful footage from the island of Fora, oh, and then wow. he he starts to read, you know, editor such and such, and I think it's because it's such an emotionally brutal experience to watch this show that actually just seeing some nature and and having a calming voice read to you yeah. is is what you need to be able to reemerge into real life. I don't know if you've done any therapy but sometimes like after therapy session it, it can feel too jarring to be back in the world and i think that's that's what it feels like at the end yeah it is it's the single best uh writing ab about relationships and, and what we do to each other and it's you know and love there's tenderness in it as well it's not just all the the bad stuff it's but it's it's very you know it's it's a very good portrayal of the the, the holistic experience of what it is to be in a marriage or a long-term relationship uh, it's, it just it, it's um it, it does sound as if it kind of has you know sort of wears all of its emotional medals on its sleeve as it were um yeah. and i think sometimes you know, kind of I'm, I'm a certain age where kind of i've gone through to lots of life traumas and you know kind of mm. ca carry around a big bag of regret as we all do and sometimes yeah. if you can watch some of those situations that are kind of distilled into a you know kind of 60 minute piece or whatever that really nails it i think there's very few very few pieces of tv and in particular film that can really nail an emotional state of either where you've been or where you're going that you can kind yes. of go right okay that's yes. i recognize that and i think that's i think that's quite sad well i mean as as gear shifts go uh, we're going <laughs> to go from uh, your number three, which was uh, Scenes of a Marriage, to please give us your number two. It's The Muppet Show! <laughs> it's time to yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Yeah, uh, it's the first thing I remember loving, and I still love it to this day. It, it, it felt the event of the week. One of those families where 
the TV was seldom off. I mean, it was off because all TVs were because there'd be long periods where there was nothing on. When I say nothing, I mean literally nothing. Yeah. Um, static. And then yeah. if it wasn't static, it'd be the test cards or yeah. pages from CFAX. And I would quite happily sit with both of those things on. But um, the, so so TV was a big part of my childhood. And I, 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 I'm, like... I'm thinking Sundays, 5.30, was it? I've got Saturdays in my head, but you you might be right. But it just felt like, you know, I think for other kids, maybe like going out and playing football was the highlight of the weekend. But for yeah. me, yeah. it was always the Muppet show. And if I look at any of my books from uh, primary school, they're just full of drawings of Kermit the Frog um, and all the, all the like guest stars. It's a funny show, the Muppet show, because it kind of straddles um, eras in, in a way that you don't think it would. So it's mid late 70s. Uh, that it that it came on the air, but it also feels like a lot of the guests, the special guest stars, belonged to almost like that sort of pre rock and roll era. Not quite vaudeville, mm. but certainly you know a, a type of light entertainment that had had long gone out of fashion by then. Well, so, the, yeah, the, the, Bob Hope was a guest on it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the amount of stars that they had, you, you know, it's it's ridiculous when you uh, when you look at. Who some of the stars were and there were you know debbie harry was on there alice cooper yeah. uh, elton john you know there are lots of those sorts of people but also like you know ethel merman yeah liberace Liza Minnelli. You know, yeah it, it just it really gene kelly i think yeah um and th there was one episode so i also really loved star wars as a kid mm. and of course now and th they were the special guest stars one week and and these days if that was going to happen the amount of pre-hype there is yeah. no way you wouldn't be aware of it yeah. but i was a kid and i was watching the muppet show which i said as i say was the highlight of my week also obsessed with star wars and then all of a sudden luke skywalker the two droids and chewbacca burst onto the screen i felt like my head was going to explode I, did, I think i think i might have cried because it was too much for me to have all that on the screen at the same time it was like it was i was overstimulated yeah. by it yeah no yeah. It, it, I, I, I it's funny the more that you talk about your list the more i think we had very similar uh, upbringings because for me television was that it was my best friend and it was also my escape i can pinpoint programs swap shop um mm. and uh muppet show and uh doctor who and yeah stuff of that uh, uh, book rogers just my yeah. absolute world um and uh, yeah for me the, i think the muppets because and funnily enough actually if you think about it it shares quite a lot of the dna with the gary shandling show because it did do that behind the scenes thing with the show at the front as well yes yes it did and also i mean none, none of this has really kind of ended up in my top 10 list but i really love um silly talk shows with sketches mm. in them mm. I, I loved the last resort with jonathan ross Genius. i loved yeah. tfi friday yeah um i i uh came to love the david letterman show yeah. craig ferguson conan o'brien yeah. and 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 i and you know it's an itch that is increasingly difficult to scratch these days big breakfast as you say and 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 i think my love of all that is just down to the kind of mayhem yeah of the muppet show i think it just it 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 put the rhythm of of that silliness and, yeah. and that type of um beautifully constructed and there were so many different aspects to it and things that you you enjoyed and things that you see i was never a big fan of pigs in space the little sketch that they used to yeah. do which is kind of pigs of star trek but i used to love the bits where gonzo was trying to shoot himself out of a cannon there were yeah, just yeah just bits of it that you knew that would happen in every program and you looked forward to those particular bits i never was really keen on the bits where kind of miss piggy and kermit were kind of you know arguing in, behind stage i wanted to yeah. see the funny stuff so yeah. you know kind of um, I think it was, um, is it, yeah, Fuzzy Bear, who, my favorite character, just because he, he was, he wanted to be a comedian and that, that yeah. had a deep seated love of comedy. And so anything that, where people were trying to understand why something was funny. And even back then, you know, when I'm watching six and seven, trying to understand the mechanics of a joke that yeah. Fuzzy Bear is trying to tell, just yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Well, my, my son is, is that exact phase at the moment so he's he's kind of in a bit of a muppets phase in that he likes the newer film in fact he liked all the films but his routine was through those newer films yeah so we're watching quite a lot of it which has taken him back to the muppet show and now he's like looking at my old annuals and he's doing that exact thing why is this funny and yeah. um and and starting to figure it all out for himself and it's great and you know they're, they're just they're just such strong characters um you know Kermit, the voice of reason, in in 
amidst all these all this lunacy yeah, yeah. whereas at the same time you know kind of uh being being funny himself i think like to, to to me it almost feels like every good sitcom or every sitcom that i like has a kermit at the heart of it absolutely um, yeah uh, and I, th- I think, like, so we'll come on to my favourite in a minute. So, but, but just to, no, oh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to um, <laughs> my hand too early. But you know, yeah. that has a like, like you know, that's that's what uh, Liz Lemon is in th- uh, in Thirty Rock, Tina Fey's character. Um, it's a central it's, character to which the other oddballs circle around, isn't it? Yeah, but not quite a straight man either. You know, yeah. a bit more sort of Bob Newharty. Yeah, you know, f- funny in their own right, but also they are that they're, they're the ones who can see how bizarre everything <laughs> going uh, around them is it's it's just it's just wonderful the songs are great i feel like so many like songs from uh, shows or the the great american songbook are, are just in my head the first mm. their, their entry point into my head like lydia the tattooed lady uh, mm. would would be through the muppet show and those albums that they released yeah uh, and you know so the shows decades later took their influence from it uh, you know i remember uh, reading an article with uh, roger fluck who was uh, co-producing spit and image and said mm. so much of their the kind of the the sort of maelstrom they wanted to create is because they love the energy of the muppet show right yes yeah that that makes a lot of sense i went um in 2017 my wife who's a comedian was in edinburgh and um she she just got up not for the whole month she was just there for a few days so i was at home with our son and one night i was at home and i'd gone down into a google hole i think it was just as the the fellow who did kermit that was was like uh sacked i think unceremoniously and this was a bit of a story Mm. and in amongst all that i saw that the muppets had announced a show at the hollywood bowl and i thought this is i've never known the muppets do a show in all the time i've been a a fan and it's in los angeles and i live in london and i have a one-year-old baby (laughs) my wife has just gone off to edinburgh for a while <laughs> so maybe it's my turn so so on the spur of the moment i just bought tickets wow. for that show and then had to and plane tickets and then had the job of telling her yeah the next day which wasn't an easy conversation to have no. as i said you said look you know i love the muppets i've never known them do a show this is this is perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity for me so please let me have this and and she was very gracious after a while and, and she did wow. and off i went and it was a great night really uh, yeah uh, i was only in la f- like for a couple of i mean it's a long way to go for a couple of days but it was really yeah. worth it yeah. and i came home and i was on such a high from having done it and within days of me getting home uh they announced a show at the o2 in london oh, oh. well at least you got to experience plain food well what a story that's a fantastic story and it just shows the length and breadth that we will go to 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 go and consume something that we love yeah yeah amazing oh i'm I'm so pleased that you actually said that the show was good though because it would have been the single most crushing blow if you'd have said it was awful no, it's really good, and I'm not. I do like the. Um, I really love the. Is it Jason Segal? Yes. Film the Muppets, and then the the one with Tina Fey and Ricky Gervais. I think is flawed. It looks to me like the the studio got a bit nervous and made yes, a lot of changes. Yes, I think so. Yeah. But um, I think the songs in it are fantastic, and there are some great comic moments. Hmm. But unfortunately, I, th- I sort of think they don't quite. In, in terms of the other stuff they do, know what to do with the Muppets. And I susp- here's what I suspect. This is a, a somewhat recent theory that I've come up with. I, I suspect that they look at stuff like The Simpsons and say, what is great about this is it works on two levels. There's silly stuff kids can enjoy, but then there's uh, stuff kids don't understand that the yeah. grown-ups can enjoy. Yeah. And and that's the that's what they apply to the newer Muppet series that they do. Yeah. And and I think actually that's the wrong approach because the the Muppets had a kind of silliness. It was it was just let's write silliness. I think the Jim Henson approach was let's write silliness that everyone can enjoy. And that is hard. Yeah. But it's not arch in any way. Hmm. Um that's not to say that everything is childish in the Muppets, but it isn't. But it it's not arch. It's not kind of winking at um, an adult audience. No. Um, it's it's just these kind of silly, naive characters um, is is at the heart of of what's funny about the Muppets, and it just seems like they they miss that in all these shows that they try to make. 
you look at things like Sesame Street and, and there are tropes in that that you know the reasons why the Muppet Show became so good that or the, the, the sort of the vehicle that it was. Yes. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, the, the, and, and just the breadth of characters as well. I mean, you talk about sitcoms and tropes and whatever. The number of different characters they had that all returned and all had their own little sort of narrative. And, and some, you know, like, you know, Beaker kind of didn't really sort of uh, exist in anybody else's world. He just, just kind of in this sort of separate entity. And there was, yeah, there was yeah. so so much of that. And I think that's, it's kind of the episodic kind of almost sketch show format of it. That mm, just, mm. I just absolutely look, because obviously as a seven or eight year old, you're watching your attention span isn't great. So if you've got no. something that's literally like this, you just absolutely lap it up. It's amazing to me that, that given that the, 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 the Muppets are now owned by Disney. If, mm. I, if I was Disney, I, I would be thinking about, you know, that Mr. Rogers film with Tom Hanks? Yeah. Like, do that with Jim Henson. Like, yeah. bring people into his world and his vision and get them to understand where he was coming from and what was so brilliant about it, because it's a great story full of yeah. great characters. Um, and, and that will do that job of refreshing this um, this, this beloved gang of characters that you own yeah. for for new generations yeah no absolutely i, I, I totally agree they, they there was a, a quite a recent new series uh which effectively tried to sort of build a bit of a narrative of kind of a road trip and it was about the the the, the, the band and, and oh yeah i watched a bit of it but but it was this thing you know it just it was tr- it, it just it, it just felt too earnest for. for me yeah yeah i didn't know who it was for no it didn't no yeah. which it was disappointing yeah. because i was just like look i'm happy to spend an hour in their company whatever's happening but yes i need to be invested in what that story is and if it was just about kind of you know sort of where, where the band's going to end up I, I, you know i, I want to feel the whole world not just a bit of it yeah the, the best things that they do these days uh they'll put out an occasional um youtube video of them doing bohemian rhapsody or something yeah. th- those things are really funny because they're like sketches from the muppet show exactly exactly uh fantastic well that is your number two so that can only leave us uh to, to for you to present to us your number one top 10 tv choice yeah so my number one is seinfeld the, the thing about Seinfeld, we started off with talking about my love of the Beatles and the Beatles are highly unusual in pop culture because I think they are um, in, in music, the unique example of the best thing also being the most popular thing. Mm. And I think Seinfeld is the same, but in sitcom world, I think Seinfeld is the sitcom Beatles. It is so good. Um, I, I, I can't understand how good it is. And it's such an ensemble piece. It is, you know, the, the sensibility of Larry David for acute social awkwardness and Seinfeld's eye for observation um, being at the heart of it. But the 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 comic comedic performances of Jason Alexander, Michael Richards and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who are at such a different level as performers of scripted comedy than Jerry mm. Seinfeld. And it is, was such a smart decision of his to surround himself with people that much better than he mm. is at this one particular thing. Um, I, I first saw it in the 90s and after having had friends, comedian friends tell me it was the greatest thing ever, switched it on. And I found the character of Kramer so unbearable that I almost immediately switched it back off again. Oh, really? I, I didn't go back to it for years later because I, th- I think, you know, I can ha- I could have an aversion to a certain type of American sitcom which had really screwball zany characters mm. um, because they just didn't feel in any way real to me. And, you know, on first glance, I'm ashamed to say that that's what I took Kramer to be mm. and, and didn't give the show a chance. And then when I went back to it after its original um, run ended, I remember watching it and thinking, oh, I've, I've come home. This is this is the show hmm. that thinks about people and interactions and, and what's funny and neuroses exactly how I do. Hmm. And it's it's sublime. It is, I mean, there's 180 episodes of it, and hmm. there's some variation of quality within that, like like there are, you know, within tracks on a Beatles album, but it's it's I, I can't think of anything that is that good that had such a huge cultural impact but also weirdly made so little cultural impact here in the uk yes yes very good point actually yeah definitely um and also just because the it was very clever i mean i've I've used this expression a couple of times talking about this particular program and I, i don't want to use it again but i have to because it is right it's precision tooled 
in the yes. way that the the lines the the pentameter of the lines are all absolutely spot on so and they are written purposefully for the particular actor to deliver so kramer has a very specific way in which his lines are delivered and the pace and the tempo as opposed to kind of you know any other characters in there um but also that it just you know randomly it went very meta at one stage where the whole premise was about um seinfeld jerry and george, and george pitching yes the thinking about to... their own sitcom yeah, pitching a show about nothing. Yes, to, to NBC. Yeah, yeah. with uh, with Bob Balaban as the executive. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 terrific. And then you know what Larry David subsequently did in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, I, I sort of liken it a bit like to John Lennon's first solo album in that mm. it is the stripped back, much more raw. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, version of Seinfeld, but it's the it's, it's exactly the same thing, really. And I I just adore it you know the, and again I suppose it's stuff that I've said about succession scenes from a marriage all these other shows the ways and we the, the the ways we complicate how we we that we're doomed to complicate how we interact with each other um it's endlessly interesting and endlessly endlessly funny mm. to me do you remember the um do you remember the cartoon strip I think it's from the bees are called the numbskulls Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then for me, Pixar, people know the Pixar film. Yes, exactly. So, it's, so it's for me, Seinfeld has an element of that because you've got kind of Jerry, who's kind of the sensible brain, but all the other characters are kind of the different emotions to which the brain suffers or, or struggles with. <laughs> yeah. And, so so to, to, to go back to what I was saying earlier, Jerry is the Kermit in Seinfeld. Yes. But, but also really funny. Like um, it, it can seem like a more neutral, like eye-rolling, sarcastic character, but the, the longer it went on, the more his stuff would would come to the surface, like his mm. weird stuff to do with hygiene and food and, and God knows what else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I remember years and years ago reading an interview with Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain of Peep Show. And, I mean, this would be around the first series of Peep Show, I guess. And then saying, like, the, the key to that show was the thing that you think you can never repeat to anybody because nobody, people will think you are bizarre. Why did you behave like that? You were a freak. That is the thing, not only in which there is the most comedy, but but also is going to be universal in some way because these things that we carry all this shame and think, I am insane the way I'm thinking and spinning my wheels about this. Yeah. That is the stuff that is the most relatable and and you know that's that's what seinfeld did yeah no the the the, the, the um, you know he, there's a very clever man that sat down and and you know literally plotted how this kind of narrative will go throughout each of those episodes and it's kind of it, it's riven with that kind of you know a leads to b leads to c leads to d it's 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 beautiful it is beautifully done and i think the more time you kind of take away from it and then you go back to it, you kind of go, oh my God, it's just, you know, you can see where the DNA of this show has, appears in several other, you know, uh, comedy shows at the moment, which aren't as good, but you know yeah. that they've taken the inspiration from the the, the, the the original source, if you like. Yeah. And I also think like the Beatles, that there can't be another one mm. because it happened at the dog days of, um, you know, network television, everybody watching basically the thing that came down the same five or six pipes, right? Yeah. So a mass audience like that and something being a cultural moment like that in a comedy, even though for certain groups, people, you know, demographics like Succession or like Fleabag, they're the thing that, you know, we've all got in common. I, I don't think you can have shows that aren't event television, like mm. like The Masked Singer or whatever, where, uh, and, and and again, this wasn't the case here in the UK, but it certainly was in America, where like a, a grandparents and a, a, a young teenager are having the same cultural experience. Yeah. I think Seinfeld you know, might, might be, if not the last, one of the last examples of that being possible mm. because of the fragmentation of how we all watch stuff now. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and it's just, a, a, you know, just when you when you look at comedy as a as a sort of finite thing to have that to have that breadth of quality, as you say, in 180 episodes. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a ton of work. Yeah, it is. And, and there's a slight gear change in the last couple of series where it gets a bit more uh, screwball after mm. Larry David leaves. And like um and actually, funnily enough, like when I started the rewatch, it wasn't on DVD. It was when it, they used to show it on Paramount or something late at night. I can't remember. And uh, so I came in around then and I really love those episodes. Um, but but 
the fact that something can be that far in, like hundred odd episodes, and and take it's not like a handbrake turn, but take a bit of a turn and still bring the audience with it. Yeah. Um, it's really impressive. I love it so much, and you know all those performances. Uh, I'm I just love Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, she's she's amazing in Veep as well. Yeah, I, um, I think she, she she is the perfect character in in sci-fi. I just think she's yeah. so so strong in it. And again, kind of she's one of these characters that kind of when they laugh as the character, you laugh because she's so infectious. Not necessarily yes, sort of yes. what she said, just because you kind of just go, "I'd love to go for a drink with her." She yeah. seems great fun. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. So that's Brilliant. my top 10. Well, I've got to say, what a top 10 that was. I've, I've recorded 10 of these, and I'm not blowing smoke. Genuinely, my 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 favorite one, just, just because not only some of the programs that you brought to us, which I will go and find, but some of my favorites, but also it's remarkably similar. It seems that kind of, you know, growing up and watching TV and the programs that kind of have a little place in our hearts. So I absolutely loved it. I hope you did. I did. Well, you know, we're similar age, similar background, similar part of the world. So I don't know if that's part of it as well. But yeah, it was, it was a real, uh, real joy talking to you. Thank you. Well, there you go. I have to say, when I started the podcast, I never dreamt of getting such amazing guests. Each one has taken the time and effort to really think about their top 10 TV list. It is hugely appreciated and I look forward to starting a new series early next year. So from us all at You're On Mute Productions, we wish you a wonderful Christmas and we'll see or hear you next year. And thank you. And remember, you get nothing for a pair. Not in this game. My top 10 TV podcast is a You're On Mute original production.